And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show. Monday through on the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Nerder She Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour. With Mo DeKeele. Are you ready to be entertained? And Seth Hartnell. Welcome to the Athletic NBA Show. It's Friday. I'm Dave DeFore, and that means it's Nerder. She wrote. Joining me as they do just about every week, my main man Seth Partnow. What's up, buddy? Hi, Dave. We're, we're doing like this is the slowest intro. Let's get through this. And Mo Keel from well, yeah, one that was thing. Like a, you, you paused for like a half hour. Like uh, it was a uh, it was an excessively long pause than normal. Just just let me you know pay a you homage could, like, like, to like the BB CBS here. the it's, CBS it's, you know, post notes. football lineup. Guys, uh, man, feels like the season has been going on forever. We're we're approaching like forty five games. I think last season we we did our little mid season check in, and so the upper crust of the NBA is starting to separate itself. Denver, Memphis, Boston, all on long winning streaks. I mean, man, Boston's won seven straight. Denver's won eight straight. And Memphis has won 11 straight. I mean, these teams are separating uh, from the pack. Memphis and Denver basically have a five and a half, six game lead over Sacramento. The Celtics have a four game lead over the Bucks, who are the two seed in the East. So, I mean, it, it feels like these are these teams have totally separated themselves from the pack to me. They're playing their best basketball right now. But one of the biggest things for both or all three of these teams, guys, they finally got healthy. And they're clicking at the exact same time that they're getting healthy. It's been fun to watch. I think it's no accident that also these are three of the four top teams in net rating, right? Like, you know, I, I, I we can, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about Denver's defense and how, how porous it can be. But I think in general, this is these are teams that understand who they are, what they're doing. And more importantly, even though they didn't Denver had injuries last year, they have more continuity than most of these other teams around the league. And I think that's something that helps in this run. Celtics have been together forever. This Memphis team has grown up together, really, in in the NBA. And I think that's those are one of the main key factors, I think, with those three teams. I mean, we the 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 notion of identity gets thrown around a lot for teams and it's it's in many cases kind of a fake thing but i think these three teams sort of they all have a they all have a way of they all have a style that they like even boston even switching coaches they are recognizably the same style of team they were last year memphis i mean you know memphis has sort of is a very brash in your face kind of taking from from john dylan brooks personality uh memphis excuse me and and you know Denver is like look at that guy you know just kind of very um, artistic almost style of basketball that they play based around Jokic. Let me ask you guys, and I don't want us to get sidetracked on the MVP talk, but I am jumping right to it. Tatum comes up in MVP conversations. Jokic comes up in MVP conversations. John doesn't come up nearly as much as those two. I mean, obviously, he doesn't put up the the same numbers. I mean, he's not getting the rebounding numbers and not getting the assist numbers. But should we maybe think a little bit more of Ja in, in that level? May, you know, he's not a top five guy like Jokic and potentially Tatum. But, I mean, uh, on the MVP ladder, I mean, his team's a half game out of the first at this point in the season, and he is the straw that stirs that drink. I mean, should he be getting a little bit more buzz than he does? I I am uncertain of that. In part, I think that the that their ability to play function well without him 
shouldn't be held him against held against him as much as maybe it is. I mean, the fact that it, it's, you know, it's good for them, good for him that they have the, the best backup point guard in the league in, in Tyus Jones. Um, at the same time, I think he is probably a more important playoff win getter than he is necessarily a guy who's going to be the most valuable overall in the regular season because his advantage creation against, you know, set defense um, it's something we've both years in the playoffs we've seen that people just can't stay in front of him. That's where he's a separator, and that's not really a, a regular season thing. I think over the course of a season, Jokic and Tatum, at least, I think are are more vital, and if vital to their teams translates to valuable, I think that's why they would still get the edge. Plus, also, I mean, Jokic isn't great defensively, but he plays defense. And Tatum is pretty good defensively, and Ja is. I think Tatum's great defensively. Yeah. So, yeah, and Ja is absolutely, like, awful. Dog poop. Yeah, there's there's also a um, – that was, first off, very extreme. It caught me off guard there, Dave. Dog uh, poop. How, well, how, I didn't know how bad he was defensively. There. Yeah. Um, the, the, other, the other aspect, though, about, like, just the MVP discussion, and to me it's it's Jokic being number one, and I think it's it's because it looks like he does it without trying. You know, like he his his triple double the other night. Um, he's had so many. I have to clarify <laughs> right. against who, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't against Minnesota. I forget who they played the night before, but his triple double then just was effortless. And I think that's one of those things you're 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 watching in him, and you're seeing it just kind of just he walks into these things with that. Ja will get more. MVP discussion. He'll his name will come up. He'll climb in the rankings a little bit if they stay around second in the in the Western Conference or or even get first seed. I think you'll start to hear that. It'll be like a late push. But you gotta also remember the Suns were the number one team in the NBA last year, and Devin Booker barely got a sniff till the end about in that conversation. Like this is also a very loaded team. When Bane's on, there's something else. Jaron Jackson's defensive player of the year, Candace is right there. I think they have a lot of stuff in that sense. So there's a lot of things that come with it. So I think we'll see more with Ja throughout the year in, in his rise. But for me, it's, it's, I mean, Jokic deserves to be there. Well, you were talking about just what Jokic is doing and, and having to clarify which game he had a triple double, you know, this game against Minnesota, it's at the point now where tie game or nuggets down one and it's late. I know that they're going to win. The Nuggets are going to – Nikola Jokic is the surest bet in crunch time that I can remember. He is going to get you a bucket. I mean, he hit a big three. Now, usually, I know he's going to go post up where he is just a monster. I mean, he scores at will in the post. But having that sort of weapon in the clutch is going to be – I mean, and especially with full health, with a full complement of, of guys next to him, I don't know how they lose necessarily in the playoffs if they can defend at an adequate level. He has, and I said this to, to Ben Taylor and Kyle Mann yesterday, Jokic, he has the highest floor of any offensive player that I can think of. It's like, he's, it's like LeBron. That sort of consistency, night in, night out, you know what you're going to get. And he actually has the ability to flip the switch, which I just, I mean... There aren't that many guys that actually can do that, and he can. So, you know, it's funny because there are games where even this game against Minnesota yesterday, it almost feels like he's coasting until he has to take over. And you look up, and it's like, oh, he's got a, you know, 24, 11, and 11, and, and I didn't feel like he was doing much, but he's plus 14, and this is just the game comes to him so easily. So, I mean, I, I think that's part of why Jokic is, is going to be the MVP for the third year in a row is that, He's got it all figured out. What I find more interesting is there's there was more pushback on the idea of Jokic winning his second MVP, his second straight MVP, than there is for his third straight MVP. And I think that's something that's pretty impressive because I think that's just how good he's been. It's it's almost undeniable. Like if he keeps this up, it's it's a hard thing to to really kind of talk about. In this and 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 defend against it. I think that I mean it. Sort of the 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 pushback to the pushback to the pushback last year was sort of okay. 
he doesn't have his team around him. Why are we rewarding him for that? Now that he has his team around him, it's like, oh, yeah, no, before Murray got hurt the first time, they were the best team in the NBA after they made the Aaron Gordon trade. And they're kind of they're they're vindicating and justifying that. So I think that's like, you know, any aside from, well, you're just going to run endless pick and roll of him in the playoffs and they can't defend. Well, that's not a regular season problem. That's a playoff problem. And the MVP's regular season award. So that's the only thing you can really pick at him right now for. Um, and that's that's like, yeah, he might be the MVP, but they won't win the championship is is sort of what the argument becomes now. And, you know, I, I actually think this is the funny thing is I think Memphis has a better team to come out of the West than the than the um, the Nuggets. Than the Nuggets. Than the Nuggets. Yeah. And I think that's like I think that's one of those things. Where, and then again, we'll have that whole discussion. But it's like you said, it's a regular season award. But that doesn't denigrate what Jokic yep. has done because both teams also have serious flaws in where they're at. One thing we didn't, we barely talked about, and I, I, we barely talked about Boston. Right. Yeah. Though they're not, the thing is, I think Boston, they're a known quantity to us. And I think that's part of why I would argue they've been overlooked a little bit given what they're doing um, by, by everybody, you know, because this is what we expected from them. I mean, they came out of the gate, things looked pretty good. This looks like a team that's that's going back to the finals. I mean, I think the Bucs have clearly uh, – we know what the Bucs' problem is. Chris Middleton, they've got to figure that out. He's got to get back. And if so, then then the Bucs are neck and neck with Boston. But, I mean, Boston has just separated itself very, very clearly to me from, from everybody else in the East. I think they're the best team by a lot. And you said – the word you said there is team. And I think that Tatum, his start to the year is, is what – you know, put him at the sort of the top of the straw polls. I voted for him in Bonteps for a straw poll. Um, I think if you if you dig into it, like his shot making at the start of the season was incandescent. And he's I don't want to say he's come back to earth, but he's performed at sort of it's it's sort of the 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 regression to the mean story of he's performed more at his true level, which means it's over the course of the season, the average is a client still very good, but it's not that like oh, this guy might be the best player on the planet level of shot making that we saw for the first month, six weeks of the season. It's, you know what it is? And this is, at least for me personally, they're freaking boring. <laughs> like, we know we know, what, we know what they are, as you guys said, and they're blowing teams out. They're doing exactly what they're supposed to do. They lead the league in point differential in .65. They're on top in net rating. They have a great, unbelievable offense. The way they shot the piss out of the ball to start the season, it's come down a little bit, but they're they're very impressive. They have a great uh, – I, I got to find – I wish I knew who wrote it. Uh, somebody wrote a great piece about Derek White's shot blocking, and he leads all guards in blocking shots. It's It's really impressive, just this team. And all of that to the point where it's like, I just pulled it up. We're doing this on Thursday night. Boston's playing Golden State. Cool. I'm going to watch the first quarter and they're probably going to blow them out. Like it's, it's or whatever. Like there's a possibility of that. And the point where like when they blow them out, teams generally don't come back against them and things like that. They're boring. And they, I mean that and I mean that in the best possible way I can I can say it. They don't have a single below average player in their playoff rotation. And it's, it's like, the, you know, the don't play bad players. Don't play just okay players. They have, like, their worst rotation player when they go to a playoff. Is, is it Grant Williams? Grant Williams is going to get paid $18, 20000000 million a year this offseason. Like, that's their that's their worst rotation player. That's insane um, to me. Yeah. Uh, it was Jay King of The Athletic. Jay King. That. So I definitely Shout out to had Jay to King. make sure yeah. I said that so Jay doesn't get pissed off. <laughs> So uh, you guys, you guys uh, called the Memphis Cleveland game over on playback. You guys did a little nerder stream there. Um, let's talk about that game a little bit. I mean, I don't want to get into the weeds, but this was the 11th straight win for Memphis. They had to kind of fight to, to win this game. I mean, it was, it came down to a couple of big defensive stops down the stretch, including Dylan Brooks blocking potential game winner at the buzzer. I mean, it wasn't going to go in, but it was good defense. He got a block shot. It was the one nice play he made in the game. Um, would you got, I mean, this is a Cleveland is really good too, right? Like they're not, they're not on the same level as Boston, but they are, I think they're a year, maybe two years away from that. Um, but they're really, really good. And, and this was a big win for Memphis. And I, I'd like to see extending a winning streak right in the NBA, you get up double digits 
every single night, the other team is just giving you everything they've got. And I, I thought it was a huge win for Memphis, actually. So interesting. You said you said double digits because Memphis hasn't is the only team in the league that hasn't lost once they get it. Once the, last last night was almost the, their first loss of the season in a game they won by ten or more points, or the game they've led by ten. Yeah, or more they've points, led, and, and they were up nineteen at one point in yep. that game. Like that was the stuff that was impressive. Well, it, it, so it, that that's funny uh, because I was uh, I, uh, our, our friend Fred Katz wrote about this about the Knicks. I did some some research for him. Um, a ten point lead isn't what it used to be. Um, teams are coming back from that deficit. I, I want to say around twice as often as they used to. Now, some of that is pace. Some of that's three-point shooting. Some of that's the high offense environment. Um, teams are coming back even from 15 down. Teams aren't coming back from 20 down anymore. So the fact that they only got to 19 is really what what uh, what they got that Cleveland one mi- that yeah, one exactly. missed free throw. One of those guys did would have just made this whole thing a blowout. Uh, would have been game would, over. Yeah, it would, would, would have been a disaster. So, but substantively about this game, I mean, we we're talking about Memphis, and I, I, I I'm gonna gonna take a left turn here. I think that was an incredibly impressive for me and Mo as we were watching the game, Darius Garland game. I know he got blocked on the last shot, but their their ability without Donovan Mitchell to be in this game. It was so much about uh, Darius Garland just, you know, getting into the pick and roll, getting into seams, using change of pace, giving himself enough time to both get his own shot, find shooters, find Evan Mobley in good spots to score. It was it was an incredibly impressive performance, I thought, from from Garland. I think, you know, Mobley, as as this season has progressed, his relocation as a big has been fantastic. He he gets these like late game runners in the lane because you know they're worried about the guards on the outside, and he just sneaks into the lane and and he had a some a couple of buckets late, um like that in that game. What they're do- Darius Garland as the like one B option is pretty high level. I mean, I, there aren't a lot of teams that have two guys that can can go like Mitchell and Garland. They're going to be dangerous in the playoffs. I mean, they're, they're the equivalent. They're, I mean, they're, pro, they're probably better um, than Damon CJ, but I think the, the other thing behind it is Damon CJ never had Evan Mobley and Jared Allen type players behind them defensively. That really made a big difference. The one guy that was really impressive in this game was Isaac Okoro. That's the Isaac Okoro. They're going to get regularly, which again, very rare. We're going to see, I don't think we will, but like if they get that on a regular basis, that's a dangerous ass team because he was hitting threes. He shot it comfortably. He passed up on a couple down the stretch that I thought were a bit problematic where I was like, you got to shoot that. We were, we were saying it on the stream and, and things like that. But overall, like that was a good, good lift for them. Though there was one, I think it was about a minute left where they, they ran jump and doubled Garland at, at or, or Levert at half court. And it came, it like the they had a three on two. Uh, Cleveland did with uh, Okoro, Mobley, and, and Aaron Allen, and he, without hesitation, shot the corner three and drained it. And it's just like, you know, teams are gonna if teams feel like they can double team the ball handlers at half court and not pay for it, that's gonna hurt them a lot because those two guys are small, and you're gonna get some turnovers there. But if he is going to confidently step into that shot, that all of a sudden you can't just run jump double off of him. And and it's not just about making it. Remember, it's about taking it. You got to mm-hmm. take those shots. You can't be PJ Tucker out there. By the way, he's not shooting enough, I don't think. But sixty three percent on threes so far this year for the, in twenty twenty three for Isaac Okoro. Small sample. He's not shooting a lot of game. But I'd li- he's taken almost three a game. I'd like to see him get it up to four. And if he can hit thirty five percent, man, that's that's exactly what they've needed out of him for the last couple years. And the, I think that we're, we're I think we're we're focusing too much on the offense for him. I think for the reason why it's important is you've got Mitchell, you've got Garland. Neither are very good defensively. Mitchell's had moments this year. He had some. He had some really impressive. Like you know, we talked earlier about Jaw's ability to get into the lane against everyone. Akora was just getting his chest in front on a lot of plays. Like especially in the first half. Uh, there's a lot of times where where Jaw was getting frustrated because he's trying to slither past him and was just running into Okoro's chest and like having that 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 wing defender who can, you can put on the other team's best guy. I mean, that's other other than that, that's a big lack for this Cleveland team looking you know into the playoffs. Like, who on them is going to guard you know Tatum and Brown, for example? Um, 
you know, when they've played this year, Mitchell's done a decent job on Jason Tatum, actually. But that still leaves you with Karis LeVert on Jalen Brown. Are we happy about that? No. So if Okoro does enough offensively to stay on the floor, that really that really ups their ceiling, I think. I mean, this is a team that's going to be just looking to see what's out there at the trade deadline in the wings position because that's the upgrade they need. I mean, we know we can't count on getting this from Okoro regularly. We know Dean Wade's not going to be very good defensively um, in that sense. I mean, you can't really, unless they can get a science lab together and combine those two guys, you know, they're going to be a team that really needs to be find f- try to find a, a way into the uh, trade market and, and if they can get a wing. Dean Wade is a good defender. Dean Wade is not someone you want. Jason Tatum, go ahead. You got him. He's a good, smart rotation defender where to go, but he's not going to be a guy one-on-one that like. exactly. That's your assignment. Go get him. Well, that is a great time for us to take a break. We'll be back where we can talk about trade season. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Folks, it is officially trade season. Three weeks from the time we're recording until the NBA trade deadline. We'll, of course, do a live nerder stream on YouTube or one of the streaming sites that, that we'll be using. Um... Guys, it's trade season. Trades should start happening soon. I actually think that this is a year where there's so many teams in it. We may see some trades here in the next week because there's a lot of competition for the few guys that are available. Mo's telling me to stop. What's up, Mo? There are too many teams in it. There are too many buyers, not enough sellers. And this is, I think this is something we should probably start getting used to as product of the playing tournament, which is fine. I'm I'm okay with it. Um, I, I I think we're we're okay with with that scenario. I um, want competition. I'd rather have competition than trades. Right, any day right. Of the week. And and in in that instance, I think it's just I think we're gonna see a bit of a, a dud. And I think the teams that look, I just wrote a trade column for Bleacher Report with a bunch of fake trades in there. I'll be shocked if if we if well first of all I'll be shocked if I was right on any of them. Um, but more importantly, I would just be surprised if a lot of these things happen because I think there's a hesitancy with a lot of teams willing to move. And then I think the Rudy Gobert trade has teams that are sellers way overvaluing what they have because the Minnesota Timberwolves made a stupid trade. I think the plan will put a break on the trade market. I think that this year is an outlier in terms of just the how few teams there are at the very top, how few teams there are in the very bottom. And there are 18 teams kind of jumbled in the middle. That's, you know, uh, I, I like to look at the league in kind of three levels, 50 plus win, 35 or lower in the middle. Usually it's about eight, 12 and 10, somewhere around there. This year, as of, a, I, I haven't looked yet this morning, but it's like there's seven teams on 50 win pace, five teams on below 31 pace and 18 teams in that middle, which is the most that there's, there's been in the last 25 years. And I think that has more to as much to do, like even without the plan, there's only like five games separating fifth from 13th in the West. Even if we were just the top eight, like the Lakers would feel like, Hey, we're a six game winning streak from being right there. Now, you know, they need everyone else to go on six game, six game losing streaks too. Let's just make it easy. I mean, I think that this is this is going to be one of the big issues. Number one, free agency is is not a thing, though, right? Like, so uh, we may see more trades that are about next season than this season. Um, it, like the Lakers, for instance, if they do make a trade, that trade has to be for next year because they just don't have the tools in their toolbox to you know to go out this summer and, and do much to their roster. So their if they're Laker making a trade, will allow it though. 
That's, yeah, that's well, how it works, right? Is I guess future I Lakers. Don't know. It's future Lakers season. But of the guys that that we know are sort of available, I mean, Jay Crowder is the most available player uh, in the league because he he's not even playing for for the Suns, and they need a body. So he's the most available guy. But of the guys that we've heard sort of rumored, who do you guys expect to move? Is OG Ananobi going to get traded? I mean, I, I like OG. I, I don't know why Toronto would want to move him, but it seems like he he might get traded. I think the first, and I think the reason why Toronto might want to move him is this is the max value you're going to get from him right now. And after not this season, but next season, you got you to gotta go pay him. And you got to pay him a crap ton of money. This team is really not that good. And I mean, they no, have the bad. talent. But they're just they're just you look at where they're at right now. You know, they're 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 sniffing the playing tournament. This is a team that I thought was a top six team uh, going into the season. I thought they were going to be really good with that with that team and everything. I thought, you know, hey, they had the tools. I don't think they'll trade OG Ananobi, but if but I think this is the team and I think that's the guy Memphis needs to go get and they need to make the godfather offer. Um, I think they need to, to really make a push. And say, call Masai going like, look, Danny Green's expiring contract. One of our young guys, and 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 here are our picks. Let's let's make this work in a way. You know, they have Golden State's pick next year. Um, I think it's lottery protected off the top of my head, but they have the, the or, or, or highly protected. But I think it's one of those things where you can kind of make a run at it. I think they got to make the Godfather offer right there. And, and and take a massive swing if they can get OG Ananobi on this Grizzlies team. This is a team to me that can win the championship. And I think that would be the only thing. And it's got to be a haul like that for Toronto to actually want to move OG. OG f- kind of filling in that Dylan Brooks role. Is that is that, is that what we're no, imagining? I think, Although I, think, I will say no one's ever traded Danny Green and then gone on to win a championship. So, you know, Memphis has to be very careful there. If they really want to make a championship run, I, I think, they, look, Danny Green is practicing with the hustle. He's playing five on five, guys. Just that's their that's going to be their midseason addition. I respect to, the gimmick, to, Dave. To the championship run. I, guys, I'm so excited about Danny Green coming back. It's been a long season for me so far with no Danny Green out there. And where's he going to fit on that roster, on that well, lineup, right, that I, rotation? I'll tell you what, man. I, I think Danny Green gives him a lot of utility at the two or three or four. I don't know. Or I worry five, about. I'm worried or, about his knees or seven but or eight. OG, OG puts them over to the top. Um, well, they're the team that I think is poised to strike. They have so many young guys that they could potentially move. They have like a ton of picks. Um, and I'm not going to say that they're due for a consolidation trade because I don't think all of their guys are good enough. Right? Like they're not in a position where there's a glut of. All right, we've got five guys that need to play in only two spots. I mean, I think that they've got some some younger guys that are a little bit longer development. Um, but for Toronto, you're bad. You should be doing that anyway. I mean, you know, every rumor is we we might trade Pascal. We might trade Fred Van Vliet. We might trade OG Ananobi. Seems like there's going to be a reboot in Toronto, likely around Scotty Barnes. So, you know, I think this, this sort of move where you get a couple picks, maybe a couple young guys who have some talent. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm assuming that's what Toronto is looking to do, but Toronto is going to set the trade market. I'm, I'm guessing. I so we you we're talking about a lot like OJ Ananobi, a team that's just below Toronto in the in the standings. Um, I think that OG would be a bigger swing. I think if when you account for likelihood of being dealt and swing, I think Kyle Kuzma's the guy that we should be focusing on. Well, he's on, on a whole tour right now, guys. I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, he's like doing podcast appearances, he's doing uh yeah, everything's he was on Good Morning America. Was he really now, I'm, this is yeah. not a joke. This is like no, a, on, I was scrolling through Twitter yeah. as we were starting, and I was like, oh, wow. There is a, this is, and this is a whole topic for another, probably a private conversation, but going on a please trade me tour is a whole nother level of, of, hey, hey, he donated a million dollars to the YMCA Fantastic. of Michigan. Let's give him, let's give it's him the, the, it's, the, it's amazing. The, the love right there. I love it. But I think the, my, I, it's, it's going to sound weird. I almost think Washington's more hesitant to trade Kuzma. Than than what the Toronto Raptors were would be, and I and I think which makes no sense. It makes no sense, but in the sense of they really want to re-sign him, and it sounds like he really doesn't want to go. Yeah, 
and I mean, if he doesn't want to resign there, like he wants to leave, like it, yeah. it sounds like he's definitely dead set on leaving. If they if they were smart, they'd make the move for him. But I think that's the 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 hesitation there. I don't think it's I think he's going to fit in a lot of places. I think Phoenix is going to make everybody's calling. Right. And I think he's the consolation prize if OG Ananobi is not available. Would you trade Michael Porter? If you're Denver, would you trade Michael Porter Jr. for Kyle Kuzma? I wouldn't do it if I was Washington. That contract is too much. I mean, I, but I, like, okay. But I would say, but like, I, I mean, he would be a nice fit there. He'd be a perfect fit to slot in right there defensively and everything that he that he does and cutting and playing off Jokic. He'd be he'd be a good fit. I just don't see it happening. I mean, but, they could definitely use his defense on the wing too. But that's but I think that that in terms of of. Like with the number of teams that would use him and the way he has he's improved, like he is good, good on both ends. He probably wouldn't be have the ball in his hands as much anywhere he went as a contender as he does now. But he can he can shoot, he can do things off the dribble, rebounds well, defends multiple positions. Like decent this guy passer, could, like this guy really? who can help a playoff yeah. team. I mean, you know, it was. I think it's. I think we have uh, undersold, under sort of forgotten how important a piece he was to the Lakers winning that title in the bubble. I think the Lakers um, undersold and forgot yeah. how important he was to them winning a championship. Yes. Kyle Kuzma, it, look, he's got the Lakers stink on him to a certain degree, like from the public, because he he was a young guy who was maybe slightly overrated when he was a Laker. But then once he got good, it was so very obvious to me that moving him was a huge mistake. I mean, the guy, like how many wings with his size play that level of defense, shoot it, at that level. And also, uh, you know, you don't have to worry about them like messing up your offense. Like he really is a nice kind of glue piece in the, like he's like a better Caruso on the offensive end. If that makes sense. He's a pretty good connector and can finish plays too. I don't think he's quite that level of a defender, but I get what you're no, saying. No, no, no. I mean, on the offensive yeah. end. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. On the offensive end. It's like the offensive Caruso uh, to a certain degree, sure. you know, and he was an easy guy to make jokes about because of that giant pink sweater. But yeah, um, or like a, like a better a a better shooting sped up Kyle Anderson is maybe the yeah well modern Robert Ori is really yeah. what, what it is. I mean um, that's it's it's a that's a great comp there, Dave. In terms of just modern Robert Ori, he's gonna fit in a lot of places. I think there's a lot of interesting. I mean, again, I think he gets moved because I think Washington comes to their senses. But we've seen too many teams overvalue guys and and the idea of like. I'm not if they think they're getting two first round unprotected picks for him, like that's a lot for Kyle Kuzma, you know, and I think that's wild. I think it's the same thing in Detroit with Bogdanovich, you know, like they're asking for too much. I mean, we've seen Eric Gordon on the trade block for the past three years trying to get a first round draft pick. He ain't ever getting a first round draft pick for I mean, him. Like the only way you're getting two picks for Kuzma is if he's going to if you're like if it's Phoenix or L.A. or someplace, it's like. Okay, we're not trading him to you like he's an pending free agent. We're trading him to you as if you already have a deal worked out because you already have a deal worked out. We're not going to make a big stink about it, but you're going to trade. We're going to you're going to give the trade assets as if and we all know what's going on here. That's the only way that's happening. Right. And I just think like I think Kuzma is a tough situation is a tough thing for the organization. I think the Pacers are in the same spot with Miles Turner. They want to extend him. Years sitting on the block has made it to the point where he wants to leave, which I don't blame him. He's been on the block more than anybody else. But the day he signed his extension. Right. And I think, you know, and now it's and now they and now they realize they want to keep him and extend him. And and he's like, no, I'm not going to sign the extension. These teams have to make a decision and take a gamble here on like, hey, we might lose these guys for nothing. They're not restricted free agents, so we don't have that. And I think that's. Those are probably the guys most likely to move at the trade deadline. And those are probably the biggest names, right? Like, I mean, it's not going to be a year where, you know, there's no James Harden to get traded. Kevin Durant's not getting traded. You know, it's not going to be something like that. Um, it's going to be these more role player. I mean, well, high end role players, I would say, with OG and, and Kyle Kuzma. Another guy John that Collins. was. Yeah, John. Oh, man. But please free John Collins. Um, th- another guy that that I thought was interesting from your column, Mo. uh Isaiah Hartenstein, who is a good player, and I think just it's just things have not gone necessarily all that well in New York, although he's picked up a little bit. Um, you you have him, you have Denver getting him, which I actually I, I love that. That would be fantastic. They could use 
Hartenstein and his sort of energy off the bench. But, man, my favorite landing spot for him would be Dallas. See, I think Dallas would be interesting, but I don't think that's that's enough. Like, Dallas needs to – if Dallas makes a move, it needs to be a big, big move. It can't Dallas be already a, has four backup centers. Where do they need another one? Well, for? they're going to have to move JaVale. Well, they can't. They gave him too much money. Three I have no deal. idea why they gave They're him gonna lose level. I mean, that was just stupid. And they don't have a ton of picks to give away to begin with. But if when Dallas makes a trade, that's a team that has to take a home run swing. Because Dallas fans, you're not going to like this. The clock's ticking. I don't know how much longer you're going to have Luka being patient with all this thing. With everything that he does on this team, I think you have this offseason and next offseason to really make a move. And so... You can't just give away a small, even just small picks to just get Isaiah Hartenstein because that's not that doesn't move the needle for the team. Denver, I mean, we just know how badly they need a backup big. Like it's a no brainer there for them. And I think it's I think Isaiah Hartenstein, who listen, I know Knicks fans may not want to give him away. I, I I spoke to a few when I, fans, not actual people, uh, in the organization about it, but like, you know. They need to be an asset accumulation mode. This season, they're not going to do anything. I'll be shot. I I don't think they're going to hold the six seed. I think they're going to. I think that's going to fall. They're going to fall into the playing tournament. For them, they need to start thinking asset accumulation for the next disgruntled star. And I think this that's just kind of the play for them there. Yeah, and and Cam Reddish probably doesn't have as much value as as they would hope. Why the hell would Dallas want Cam Reddish? By the way, when I saw I, that, I don't get it. I don't get that one. I, well, no, I, I think, I mean, Kev, like, depending on what you're, like, if you think he's your third or fourth wing, yeah, a guy who, you know, six, seven guy who can defend a little, can shoot a little, like, sure, but it's not going to be your starting three. I mean, I just, I just don't see it for them. I don't, I don't see, again, like, just, it doesn't make sense for me for what Dallas needs to do. This just, that, that just didn't make sense to me. When I saw that, I was like, I don't, come on. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. I know I'm looking outside right now. Sun's out, birds are chirping. It's time to start getting outside. Uh, I know that I like to get outside and play basketball with my kids. And honestly, I need to get into a fitness routine in order to keep up with these guys. And Peloton is there for me. Peloton's varying class links were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout, whether you'd like to add a 10 minute core session at the end of your strength class, or take a 60 minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals. Peloton's classes were made to challenge you. There are a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, full body strength, or marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you're already excelling in. Peloton's program and instruction push you to be your best. Their expert coaches and nonstop vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run indoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Guys, um, I don't normally like to do this, but for our last topic of the day, go into Twitter. And believe it or not, Stan Van Gundy sent a tweet. And it wasn't a Lincoln Project tweet. Um, he tweeted about 
injuries. And, and I'm not sure if it's accurate. It's one of these things that I think is more about a gut feeling. And I, I, I'm not saying he's wrong or right, but it is an interesting conversation. Uh, here's what it said. 90s NBA teams just had a trainer and a strength coach. They practiced more often and harder and played more back-to-backs. Teams now have huge medical and quote-unquote performance staffs and value rest over practice. Yet injuries and games missed are way up. Something is not working. Kevin Durant chimes in and agrees with Stan Van Gundy. Now, this is, you know, this is different generations. This is a coach. This is a player. They, they both feel the same way. And then Stan continues by saying, we are getting something wrong in how we prepare and train players. We can't do anything about injuries like Kevin Durant had, where someone obviously is in acute injury. Someone fell on his leg. But the groin, the hamstring, they shouldn't be happening as much as they are. Now, this was, I think there were some people that that initially misconstrued this as Stan Van Gundy saying players are soft. I didn't feel that way at all. Um, he's saying that, you know, with, with the advancements in, in sports science, medical technology, training, why are guys still susceptible to the same injuries? Now, the human body is uh, is actually pretty fragile. And these guys move up and down the court really fast. They jump a lot. They run a lot. And there's 10 of them on the court at one time. That's a big reason why there are a lot of injuries, right? It's just a, it's a sport. You're going to have injuries. These guys are also playing at the highest level that the game has ever been played. They're the best athletes. That, that also leads to more injuries. We're pushing the upper envelope of human performance. And I think you're you're hitting on the thing right there is all these advances in sort of the training medical technology. They also enable, yeah, they make you more able to withstand these forces. They also you enable you to uh, to generate greater forces. So it's sort of like, yeah, okay, it's we have better armor than there's ever been, but the bombs are bigger too. And that's and and so that that's part of it there. And then you know, you've mentioned like not just the level of play, but the style of play. Again, go back in and look at the amount of movement, the amount of collisions. There's like, yeah, fine. There's more hard fouls, but the amount of like just constant contact and cutting and grinding that that players go into in a daily game. The game is physically harder than it's ever been. And you can't redline three or four times a week for six months and not expect people to break down. And that's what the NBA schedule does. I mean, there's a lot here. Seth, I agree with you guys on this. I First, I'm going to start out with, I kind of agree with Van Gundy on this point. Performance staffs are are, are probably t- having maybe too much say, I think, to a degree. I mean, if you look at it in the sense of just the last Clipper game when they lost to the Sixers, Paul George is on a minutes limit. He gets pulled out. He's pissed off. He's looking at Ty Lue and Ty Lue saying like, oh, it's the, the minutes limits, the performance staff. Like, yeah, of course he wants him out there and all that stuff. And they're trying to get his body right for that. So I think there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of what he's truth to a little bit of what he's saying in, 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 in that regard. But we need to stop just kind of nostalgia for the nineties basketball. When nineties basketball, I'm sorry, folks was bad basketball. Go watch those games. It was post up, post up. Four guys go stand in the corner because illegal defense was a totally different deal then than what it is now. It's a whole different type of game now with everything that Seth said. They didn't cut as much. They didn't move. They literally stood and watched most of the time. And and, and you want to know how, if you guys want to go back, remember the Charles Barkley rule? It was so bad they had to limit post-ups to five seconds. So it's it's just that kind of stuff there. So that's it's we got to stop with this whole the 90s and we did this in the 90s and it was better in the 90s. And 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 then my final point and then I'll cede the floor to everybody else. We're burning these kids out when they're 15, 16, 17 years old in these AAU tournaments. The body can't handle it. There's articles and articles of these kids coming in to the league and 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 the medical red flags are Yo, this dude's knee is 27 years old, but he's only 19 or 20. Like there's there we're burning these kids out and it's across several sports. 
You have the same thing with baseball with pitchers well, and the elbows, the, yeah, elbows and things like that. Like there's there's a lot of this stuff. We're burning these kids out and wearing their bodies down. And I think that's an important factor as well that we don't discuss. And I think it's an important thing to understand because really that started to take off in the 2000s, I would say, more so than than ever before. And now it's like you I, I hate the AAU system because we stopped teaching the game. And I think we have these kids playing four or five games a day. It kills them. I saw that even I was with the Bucks for four draft processes and we get every person who comes in for a workout. We get a detailed like medical and like like little mannequins with areas circled and in like in those four years the the change in the no in the frequency of like knee and ankle big circle arthritic or pre-arthritic like you know college sophomores coming in with to work out and they and they find they have pre-arthritic knees like it happened a couple times the first time by the time I, it was like it was half the guys it seemed like had had those kind of and, and you know for whatever you know partially it, it might be better tech diagnostic technology but i think it's overuse i think it's overtraining i think it's over specialization as well over specialization for sure and i mo i'm glad you brought up the baseball thing you know tommy john surgery used to be pretty rare even for major league players and now like they have them all the time and but high school i mean there are kids in middle school that are from overuse in baseball are getting like tommy john surgery and, and now luckily knees are a little bit stronger and we don't have a rash of, you know, youth basketball players that require ACL reconstruction surgery. But I don't think we're far off with the schedule. And anytime money gets involved in something, you're going to you're going to see athletes getting pushed to their limits. AAU is no different. Youth basketball is a mess because there's so much money involved. And these guys don't take off season. You know, I, Kobe talked about this when, when he came up with the idea for for his youth basketball league where, you know, off season is important. It is important. It used to be that that was when you built your body up to be able to play in the season. You also played other sports, which strengthened your body for basketball because, you know, you do different stuff in different sports. And now that doesn't exist. If you don't play basketball 365 a year, how are you going to get recruited? If you don't get recruited, how are you going to go to college? If you don't go to college for a year, how are you going to play in the NBA? How are you going to be on the G League Ignite? How are you going to have an Instagram mixtape if you don't play every day? For the guys who are gonna be NBA players, they'll make it. Yes, you know, I and and they'll be better. I mean, how many how many players have we seen? Oh, he's got great feet because he played soccer. Great right. vision because he played soccer. Like that cross training is, you know, they've done. You know, uh, everyone read Range by uh, by David Epstein, but like they've done studies of, you know, elite level German soccer players. This is you know, country is very invested. And the guys who have been multi-sport athletes do better over the course of their careers than the player. Now, there might be some selection bias and like there's there might be something cognitive that, you know, the 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 multi-sport athletes are better. But still, that cross training is just so important. I mean, it's just like when you're when you're. It's frustrating, like I think across the board, but I think. Going back to just the NBA level, I mean, the frustration is a lot of these these teams that are that are doing it is is it's wearing down fans and things like that but i'm also again just a big believer hey we need to shorten the season anyways this needs to be a 72 game season we need to get optimal rest for these guys and i don't want to hear what they did in the 80s and 90s because you know what we used to do back in the day used to smoke on planes <laughs> used to drive with cars without seatbelts so we've learned we've evolved as human beings the game needs to evolve now and go to eight, uh, go from 82 to 72, completely get rid of back-to-backs and let these dudes actually rest. It's damaging. It's it's so hard to recover going from play, get on a plane, fly to the next city, play the next day. And that's just not enough time for your body to recover. And I don't care if they flew private, stay in the nicest hotels, all of those things. I did it. I didn't have to play a game and I was freaking exhausted. It wore me out, and it, it took me years to get back to just a normal sleep pattern in that sense, and I didn't have to play in the game. And I think the other thing we we should acknowledge, and I have to give credit to to friend of the program, Kevin Pelton, for this, is the advances in this sports medicine stuff. We might not be seeing in a guy playing more games in a season, but we're seeing – we might be seeing it more in longer careers. like And higher level of play. Yeah. 
These guys like, are hitting their their athletic peak more often than players were 25 years ago. They're they're like, able to. But but the thing about it, you know who could have used probably some some intervention of a performance staff was like Brandon Roy. Like, you know, um or, or players like and and I'm not going to say we're not seeing those. But they're more rare. And, yeah. and I mean, look, we we've all gotten smarter, hopefully. Um teams certainly have. I think training staffs, I mean, NBA is on the cutting edge when it comes to sports performance. I mean, this is not, you know, Stan, to Stan's point, having just a trainer and a strength coach back in the day was to the detriment of the players and to the league. I mean, it, this is having more staff that that has expertise in the human body and, and knowing what it takes to, you know, reach the level that these guys reach every night is important. The injuries is overused. I mean, there is a simple solution. And also, it would serve your game, your league, and the fans better because your stars are going to play more. They're going to play at a higher level. I mean, you, you basically, if you want players injured less and you want them playing in more games, you have to play fewer games. It would also serve the coaches better. Ty Lue had to take time away for health reasons. Steve Clifford had to step away for health reasons. There's also that aspect of it. It would serve everybody better in that sense. It's just, it, we're just not meant to do it. And just because we did it in the past, isn't how it should be done now. And I think that's the wild, the wild take here in, in all of that. And I think we have to get away from this constant, you know, toughness side side of things with all that stuff. And I think that's the important, that's just an important thing with all of this, with these guys. And I think, you know, longer careers goes a long way for these guys. And it matters. I don't know. Look, Jordan had to take a two year break to go play baseball, you know, and there's a million reasons why, but you know, fatigue took part of it. You know, we saw it in the last dance in, 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 in how tired he was. It was part of it. And I think that's an important aspect of that. We could have had a longer stretch of Jordan. If, if, if maybe there was a little bit more rest built in that schedule. Well, this makes me want to go hit the gym and uh, make sure that uh, I add some longevity to my career. Uh, for Seth Partnow and Moda Kill, I'm Dave DeFore, and this has been Nerder. She wrote on the Athletic NBA Show. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.